Hello, I'm Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns Walker. Together, we welcome you to the Butterfly Forecast. Today is so special. (laughs) Um, Well, it's really cool because usually Julie and I record separately. She's in Chicago and I'm in L.A. And today we are together. Welcome to L.A., Smushy. Thanks, Smushy. I wouldn't miss it. This is a special time and... uh, We have another special guest with us. We're all together in one space. And we have podcaster Sam Fragoso with us today, who has been kind enough to trust us (laughs) to enter this space of conversation. So, Sam, welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me. Hi, Sam. This is dream come true. It is? Yeah, because we we <laughs> Wait, talk. It, with... it isn't for you? <laughs> I don't know what you I'm know. Confused. Yes. Of course. I'm overjoyed. Well, unofficially, we talk with you before and after. Yes. And because if you accumulate all that and patch it together, then we want to have a conversation with you. Well, I'm blessed to be having it with you. I'm glad. I'm going to take off my watch to have it. Ah, oh, yes. Um, What are we talking about? Well, first, I just wanted to give our listeners a little backstory. So Sam is a veteran in the game and has had his own podcast for five years now Mm -hmm. Yeah, called Talk Easy and is an incredible podcaster. You guys should definitely listen to his podcast and was generous enough to help Julie and I with ours and so has been sort of our mentor and greatest assist. So thank you. And then we also just dragged him into this episode. So (laughs) extra thank you. I appreciate that. I really wish you could just like follow me along in life and say that all the time. (laughs) Just orbit. That's like the nicest thing someone has said. That would be great. That would be so nice to have a hype person. Yeah, I know. How are you two doing? We're doing really well. Yeah, it's, it's special to actually be together and spend time together, not on Zoom. Yes, now, but you two, so you two would have these phone calls. When did they start translating into in-person dialogues? They started in person. They started in person. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, wait. At the very, very beginning, it was a professional relationship. And uh, we were just talking about that recently mm-hmm. because I've been working as a medical intuitive for 30 years, 30 plus years. I never befriend somebody who's my client. <laughs> and Melody said that she decided we already were friends, she would wear me down. (laughs) It's it's too late. It was too late. And that's what happened. Were you comfortable crossing that boundary? Did it just make sense at that point? Because you said like you've established this rule. Mm. And I know this because I've always tried to befriend every therapist I've ever had. And they always (laughs) reject me. They always say you're nice, but I don't think so. I'm sorry. I I was definitely saying no, no, no for a long time. And then I used to stay at hotels when I'd come and do work in Los Angeles. And Melody started to say, why don't you stay with me? Mm. And she was like, if you stay with me, it'll be so much easier and it's going to be fun. And it turned into like one long slumber party. (laughs) Did you remember all this? Like thinking like, this is okay. This is dicey territory because she... It's but like it, a rule she had. Well, my my recollection of it is slightly different hmm. because we were very, we did work on a very professional level. And then um, 
there was a time where I found out that Julie actually did workshops and did speaking engagements. And I asked her, I was like, wow, well, if I were to bring you out to LA, would you be able to do one at my store? Because there's so many other people that I know that would benefit from this. And she agreed. So I started bringing her out here, which is what eventually turned into the slumber party. But Julie has this thing as well, where I think she, um, because of the nature of what she is and who she is, she kind of tracks people. And I think she must have been tracking me on some level because I was going through a very hard time. I had just gone through a breakup and I, I was like kind of depressed to the point where I was like, why am I even here? I was in a dark place. And out of nowhere, Julie had never called me, you know, on a personal level. And out of nowhere, she just started checking in on me personally. And she would just be like, hey, I just thought of you and I wanted to do, she'd call it a love patrol. (laughs) And so she started doing these love (laughs) patrols and they really pulled me out of where I was at. And I don't think it was her intention to become friends with me after that, but Once she started doing that, then I was like, wait, is this door open? (laughs) (laughs) And then I just walked all the way through. Right. It was slightly open. You pushed it open entirely. Yeah, I just pushed it open. But care about uh, me and that's permanent. Yeah. (laughs) Look, if someone's doing love patrols. Right. I feel like you're in. You're in. Yeah. Do you feel like you were tracking her? Does that sound right? Actually, for sure, it's true. But I wasn't conscious of it. You know, when you are with someone for a period of time or have an exchange for me, now they are forever with me. I don't really have that luxury to be detached. Mm. It happens a lot. I share it with Smishy all the time. If somebody is on my mind repeatedly, I will ask her, I'll tell her, so-and-so is on my mind, or she'll tell me, somebody is coming over. And I'll say, really? I've been worried about them for like two weeks. Hmm. And she's like, well, they're coming here tomorrow, so we'll be with them. So it's funny because before we started taping, we were talking about what this was going to be about. And we were kind of batting this idea around service. And it sounds like that's what you're describing. But to you, I mean, Melly, maybe you can speak to it, but doesn't it seem like Julie's whole life is in service of like thinking about people and where they're at? Mm -hmm. Is 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 that fair? Yeah. I don't see it that way, but I really appreciate <laughs> you guys being here together. I love being together. I put together, together a whole Can theory. Can we just stay like this in this little treehouse? Yes. I put this and Julia's like, I don't really know what you're talking about <laughs> at all. But I love, I love presenting. Actually, oh my gosh, Sam, that is it. That is what service is. When you do something naturally from who you are, I think we've misconstrued the concept of service. And I think also a lot of authorities and like paradigms of quote unquote spirituality that were really more like man-made dogma to um, what's the difference between service and slavery? Mm. Choice. Mm. You know, you choose. And I really think what you just said is so profound that if people knew the definition of service as offering just what you long to do and do naturally, except directed towards those who maybe need it, then we would, could do away with formal organizations of service. Mm. Mm. What do you make of 
like your role in service and all that. I agree with what she said. I mean, I feel like when I'm in my best place, I'm able to be of highest service. When it's a pleasure, it's a privilege to do whatever it is. And it's kind of like when I design things and if I if that thing can make somebody happy or make somebody feel more supported or give them confidence during a meeting, if they wore it there or to an event or a party, then that's when I feel of the highest service. I'm like, wow, I did that. That's cool. I could do that for somebody. I remember when I started uh, writing at like 16, I remember going to high school one day and on the computer at the library, there was three kids in my class reading like these film reviews that I was writing. And I remember thinking like, that's unbelievable. Like I'm watching, I just did that in my room last night and someone's reading, why are they reading about Iron Man? Who gives a shit? And I wondered for you, like, when was the first time, and I think it is tied into service, when you saw someone wearing something you made and were like, that's really bizarre to see that. Mm. out in the world Mm -hmm. like to see yourself in someone else Mm -hmm. like and I think we do kind of treat work as extensions of ourself yeah I don't know if there's a specific memory but yeah well I was really lucky because I didn't start making stuff for consumption initially it was just for a friend of mine and um it was Saul Williams and he is a poet and a writer and um I really love him And he was making his first music album and it was kind of a big deal. And I made the stuff for, like I made some jewelry for him for his album. And so he, I took it to him and he put it on and he loved it. And then he asked me to take photos of him in it. And I was like, cool. So I like styled this (laughs) whole photo shoot and he had taken this rescue cat in and the cat had one leg and one eye And he was like posing with the cat. And then I went home and I edited the photos. Like I drew like a little eye patch on the cat and did all this stuff. And I sent it to him and he loved it so much that he used it as his album cover. Oh, that's incredible. ended up being his album artwork. And that was the first time I had seen it out in the world. And then that stuff ended up being like the thing that he wore to all his shows. And then it ended up in the Smithsonian Museum. And then it was like, (laughs) it was this whole amazing thing. But it was the first time I was like, whoa, somebody actually thinks this is valuable. But it started from such a pure place. It was a friend saying, I kind of need this thing. And yet he must have said to himself that you were capable of it. Yeah, well, that was the biggest part. I I don't think anybody had ever entrusted me and thought I was capable enough to actually execute it. I hadn't even entrusted myself Mm -hmm. yet. Why do you think you did? I just never done it. So I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know. I knew it was somewhere in me, but I just didn't know how, the how. Yeah. But then you just did it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nobody had asked me. Do you remember like why you think he asked you? Well, the story is kind of funny. We were at this, we were at Swingers, which is this diner that we frequented often late at night. And I had had this dream about him. And in the dream, he was performing and he had this whole persona as he was performing. And so I was like, Saul, 
was like, I had this dream about you. And I like was telling him. And then he was just kind of like looking at me. And I was like, he thinks I'm so stupid. He thinks I'm such an idiot right now. And then he was like, yo, I'm working on an album. And he's like, and I'm creating this character. And I was like, okay. And he was like, the character is called Niggy Tardust. And it's based on this. And it's that and that. And he's like, and I brought in this artist. And his name is Anjo Bear. And he's going to do the art. And da, 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 da. And he was like, you had a dream about Niggy Tardust. That's exactly who I'm creating. And I was like, whoa. And then that's when he was like, I want you to make the jewelry. I want you to help me with the costume. I want you to da, 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 da. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so it was kind of crazy. That's unbelievable. Happened. Yeah, it was cool. There's something so pure about that mm-hmm. in the way that we're talking about like service. Yeah. It was just the stars aligned and maybe something was serendipitous and you had a dream of a character that hadn't even been materialized yet. And it's so service at its core is like, it's a really pure thing. And it's almost sometimes like accidental. You didn't plan on having a dream. Like you today. I mean, look at you right right now. As we I think you guys may have had a plan. <laughs> about what us. you're doing. <laughs> but don't you think that the backstory on service, if we looked at every altruistic service, the backstory, I hear those stories every day. The story she's sharing is the true story of service. Mm. The only reason something had to be divinely orchestrated is she could wake up to what she could offer. If somebody didn't ask you to do what you do, Sam, would you do it? Depends on the day. (laughs) Depends on the day. It makes such a big difference. I mean, I hear you bring out people. You have a very special gift. It's like you have a universal skeleton key to people. Oh, my God. You really do. I I feel that's an unbelievable, and that's such a strange but specific compliment. I'm going to have to figure out one for you now. (laughs) Please don't. (laughs) I got to really sit with that. (laughs) But, But I think... That don't you feel like the more you do your podcast, for example, and the podcast is not your limitation. Mm-hmm. It's just one venue, mm-hmm. one place you get to show up and be you. Don't you feel that the more you work with people and have conversations with people, the more it also is informing you about what you bring out in of people? Of course. I mean, I think that this ties into what I kind of led with when we've started this show as I said to you two, the only thing you can do is show up and be yourself. Everything else is nonsense. You know, and I think people like to come on shows and sound like versions of themselves they believe they should be. Mm. And I think what's kind of great about this show, and I am plugging it in the middle of this show. <laughs> I'm aware of that, listener. I'm sorry. Is that you two are getting better at being yourselves on a microphone Mm -hmm. and you want to talk about like service look at the responses online look at what they say when people listen to the show they say it's really helping me i feel connected to melody and julie i feel like it's speaking to me it's getting me through this that's service i mean that's the show and i feel that way certainly with talk easy is that that we get that all every week We get people all the time saying, especially in the pandemic, that it was the thing that got them through. And there's something, you know, we also are doing it because we like doing it. It's work also. But 
how do you incorporate service into your work? And can the two, you know, exist together? I think they can. Oh, my gosh. I mean, if we look at the root of businesses and economies, service is the root. If there's something that people need and you can offer it, that is the surest way to economically build yourself uh, and whatever your idea is. So without And yet, service, don't you feel like that gets lost, though? Yes. It get, the, so the bigger these things get, I don't want to speak too vague, but it just feels like the bigger these companies get, that initial instinct to help someone, to do something for someone. Do you deal with that where you're like, I know we're getting bigger, mm-hmm. but how do I stay to the core why I did this in the first place? That dream that led me to here. Well, I'm still pretty small, but... Yeah, I feel like when people forget why they're doing it in the first place is when they lose their way. If it becomes about a bottom line ever, mm-hmm. it's like, what is the culture of this company? I feel like all the companies that I respect the most have some kind of very specific motivation and culture behind them and are still tied to some kind of core value. Like my friend Brendan, who has Noah, which is a, a men's brand based out of New York, it's like, All his passions and beliefs are the DNA of that brand. And everything always ties back into that DNA, which are, you know, his roots. Like it's about skate, punk, surf, the planet. So whenever there's something greater to believe in or to form a collective, you know, sort of sentiment around is really powerful. And when it's not, you can tell. You can completely tell. You can tell. It's so obvious. Yeah. When the culture of it and the initial like seed of it is totally washed away. Yeah. It's so obvious. Mm-hmm. It's so obvious. Well, I mean, I think that when you start something with that altruistic seed and you plant it and you water it, that doesn't necessarily mean that's all you will feel. Just like Smishy, you have had more people like They're not the soul of your life. They're not actually your friend or your connection. There's somebody who sees an opportunity with you. You have had that experience and you've had to navigate those waters because you are a business, Mm -hmm. even if you're not big business. And so you have to make these decisions along the way to keep the dream alive and real. Even myself and my job, I have the same strange dilemma which is I'm never going to become big because one-on-one or workshops is as much as, you know, I do. But when people want to surpass my schedule and will do anything to take the spot of someone else, I just think, but why? The time will be right for you. But sometimes they'll offer me 10 times the amount of money Mm -hmm. for that spot. And you'll say no. Of course. No. No, it's not of course. No. I think that's the difference. I mean, that's. I think people are learning that on the podcast. You say, of course, it's not of course. There are many people who would say, okay. I mean, you know that. You, I mean, don't you think? Like, mm-hmm. I may say, okay, skip the line. Mm-hmm. I'm not altruistic, you know. But about that, but when there's something that's really your, it's your gift. Yeah. Then you won't compromise. You don't want to sacrifice. No. Because yeah. then who are you after that? You're not who you think you are. Mm. And so there's a much greater risk. I would never work again if I compromised what I am when I do it. What, what would that be worth to anybody? So, uh, wow. 
Melody, after talking with Julie, do you ever feel like 2% better of a person? <laughs> Only 2%. Well, each time. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Always. Well, it's really cool with Julie because she has such a great, a greater awareness than a lot of people that I know. And so just by virtue of being friends with somebody like her, my awareness has really expanded so much. There's so many more things that I'm aware of where I'm like, oh, wow, that's how you view service. Oh, I never viewed it that way. Mm -hmm. You know, like you said something a little while ago of like you thought that they could exist together, like work and service. And I think through my relationship with Julie, I kind of feel like they're inseparable. It's like, how can you leave a part of yourself out of the room? So I've been trying to integrate more of who I am into everything that I do. And it's a little challenging and scary because it's like I, I do have a spiritual side to me. And I don't want to isolate anybody that's not spiritual. But I can't leave that part of me outside of the room when I come in the room. So how do I inhabit more of that in a way that's still inclusive, but honoring of who I am. Mm -hmm. Because the, most people might not know it, but half the reason why I do what I do or I'm of service in the way that I am is because of that relationship that I have in myself. So I can't leave it out. But before I think I would, you know, but I think over time, you know, I've gotten better at integrating it more versus leaving it out out of the conversation or kind of like hiding it. Mm. And now I'm less, you know, I'm, I'm more transparent about. I wonder if that is, you know, we're talking about like your birthday coming up. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's at all just getting one year older and being like, if I'm not bringing myself fully, what the fuck am I doing? Totally. Like, can I curse on the show? Yeah. Oh, okay. Totally. No, it's so true. I think especially Julie said something the other day. She was like, you know, women are really the keepers of time just because we have a cycle and there's so many things that we have to be aware of physiologically that men just don't. Um, so I think that's an added layer when you have a birthday as a as a woman. And that's been coming up for me too. It's like this sense of time and wait, our, my time is running out in certain ways maybe or... Um, the time is now for this or, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. I wonder if that's where what we were talking about earlier comes into it, where time and um, the awareness of birthdays, I can't help but also bring the awareness of death. Mm. Are you going to do that? Yeah. <laughs> we're doing it to you, Sam. Are, are we sure? Sam, we want you in the conversation. <laughs> I want myself out. <laughs> um but I really do mean that in a beautiful way, not in a um, morbid way. Okay. Because if your birthday is coming up, I do think that's why people have the proverbial like freak out at 30, freak out at 40, freak out at 50 these decades because of what they think it implies. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's my last chance to do whatever, fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. Well, is that really true? Where does that come from? Why are we afraid to have our destiny? The day you are conceived, you are destined to have a life. Mm -hmm. You're also destined to end that life when you finish. 
And so if you still think you have X, Y, and Z to accomplish or you're drawn to it, won't that be a part of every year? Don't we celebrate getting closer to our greatest goals? Like what what happens to you on your birthday, Sam? What happens? (laughs) Like, do you think a certain thought or do you just have feelings? I think a certain thought. I think... Bloody hell, Harry. Yeah, I think that first. Um, I think, sure, okay, we're all going to go. I have had, unfortunately, like a, an obsession with dying f- for a long time, probably since I was like 14 or 15. I think I became aware of my own mortality and thought, this is a really, what a rigged game this is. I can't believe like we're part of this. What nonsense. But here's the the upshot, I think. Because I am so afraid of death around my birthday, but really every day, I am always thinking, I am not wasting a moment of it. Not ever. And so I think, yes, I'm terrified of it, but I'm not one of those people that, that says, I wish I did this. I'm one of those people who said, I did do this and God, I did it badly. But hell, why not? You know, so I, I believe in just, I was going to do a Nike slogan. I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, so I, I think around my birthday, I, I, I ask myself, what is next? What does that look like? What does it feel like? How much time will it take? Better understanding how long things take. I think creative people in general don't have a good sense, especially when you're younger, mm-hmm. like my age. Mm-hmm. You don't have a good sense of how long things take. They take a long, long time. And accepting that it may not turn out very well and and being okay with that and still saying, I want to do it anyway. But around my birthday, I think about that, but I think about that every day. It doesn't change. So I think maybe my, my problem with birthdays is the same problems I have with Halloween, Valentine's Day, any day where I'm told I'm supposed to think about a certain thing mm. or do a certain thing, I have a problem with it. I don't like getting dressed up because I'm told to get dressed up. Mm. I don't want to be in love because I'm told to be in love. Mm. I don't, there's something about, it's like a resistance to authority probably. And now, you know, same time next week, I appreciate the therapy here. (laughs) I Uh, love the authenticity. Your courage is so evident. And especially what is a greater uh, catalyst for courage than death Mm. for a human? I mean, the one thing that drives us is our mortality. I don't know if that's true for everyone. Why? Well, I don't know. I can't speak for everyone, but I, I speak to many people, not just on the show, but you know, the whole reason I started the podcast is because I would have these conversations with people away from microphones, like kind of any city I went to, any cab I went into, any like stranger I met, I'd get to the end of the cab ride and without fail, after 20 minutes, I know how many times they'd been married how many kids they had, what they wanted to do, their whole lives would just kind of come Mm. out. And I would often ask to kind of tie back into like birthdays and mortality. I would ask like, are you afraid? And there's a lot of people who will say, I don't think about it. And maybe they're lying to me or they say, I'm not afraid of it. Or some people will say even worse, I'm ready. I'm ready for it. Mm. And so I don't know if everyone is driven. Are you driven out of fear of death melody like your own mortality as you as you have this birthday coming up um i don't think of it often i don't think of dying 
But I do think about whether or not I'll finish before I die. What does that mean, finish? Well, I just have so many things that I want to do. I have so much I want to accomplish, and I really worry about whether or not I'm going to be able to do it before I die. Because so often when I see a death and I consider it, the first thing I consider is like what they were able to get done before they left. And of course, it's so, I mean, it's really so silly because I do believe that the timing is divine and that there's some kind of greater sense of timing than what I'm able to witness. Like, who am I to say this person died before their time? Because it always feels that way, unless they're really old. And I'm like, well, Mm -hmm. you know, they lived a good life. But there are some people that live until they're 98 and are super unfulfilled and didn't live out their purpose. And then there's people that die when they're 15 and had a huge purpose that they could have finished by the time they were 15. And and I know it's hard for us to kind of wrap our minds around something like that. But um, I just wonder what is the thing that will determine that I'm done here? Like, what is that? Because I think another thing that Julie and I have talked about that she shares a lot is that it doesn't take any effort to die. It's actually pretty easy to die. It's the harder thing is living, right? It's really hard to be on this planet and to live. Mm. It's actually so easy for us to orient ourselves towards death and to die, whether it be through illness or whatever. And so... I just wonder about that delicate balance of it all for myself. Mm, That's what I meant when I was talking about mortality as our orientation and catalyst, because not consciously necessarily, but it's there. It's always there. It accompanies you. Like you're aware of when you change or even when you're a child and your hand grows or your feet grow and you're like, what can I do now because I have bigger feet? Uh And I think then that starts this process. What if I keep growing? You have to ask questions to discover truth and quest for that. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, the inspiration comes when you decide I'm going to live. This is what I want to do. And because nobody knows the great unknown. Mm -hmm. All we can ever do is face it and then do more. Like, I guess that's where people's bucket lists come from. Mm -hmm. Do you know why you're so afraid of dying? (laughs) (laughs) Are we your best friends now? (laughs) Oh, you know, I, I, uh, no, I really don't. You don't know. I I don't really know. Are you going to tell me? I'd love to know. I really don't think it's in any human's nature to be afraid of death. I think the only time anyone has fear of death is when there's been distortions behind you from family of origin, from culture, um, from experiences that nobody was there to uh, guide you through and explain what that really is, you know? Mm -hmm. I think for me that we are so unique Mm -hmm. in our perception of life. You need someone there. And this crazily ties into service because we wouldn't even have the concept of service if in our families when we grew up, you're supposed to have these two amazing parents and hopefully they come from people. 
amazing for you. Mm-hmm. They don't have to come from, you know, Piaget and journeyed with Carlos Castaneda's to accompany yourself on your journey, but they should really study you and help you through your passages mm-hmm. and your challenges. You know, I had something when when you asked me that. You mm-hmm. looked at me in such a, like, we've never been in person before. For people <laughs> listening, we've never met. I haven't met them. And you looked at me in such a way where I was like, oh God, she saw something. Like you saw me for a second and you asked me a question that's a painful one. Mm. And my first, my gut response was the shallow one, which I didn't say, but I'll say it now, which was, I don't know why I'm afraid of it. And I think, like I said earlier, it's it's like a rigged game that we were here. And But that's the shallow answer. The real answer is, I really like it here. Mm. I really like living. I'm not a depressive type. Um, <laughs> uh, not, in, I mean, I know people listening are like, really, are you sure? But um, I really like living. Um, I'm just sort of starting to get okay at it even. Even before I wasn't particularly good at it, I enjoy being alive. And I know that sounds really simple and like obvious. It's like saying like Michael Jordan was a good basketball player, but like I really love being alive. Mm -hmm. And that is definitely tied to service. And Mm. I like, I like being in service of others through the show, through this show with you two. And I don't, I don't want to give it up. That's the truth. That is such a beautiful. There you go. You guys pulled it out of me. Good Lord. Wow. <laughs> and isn't it incredible too? It makes sense also of fear of death because it's the unknown. And if you knew that life was still life when we leave the material body here, but you are still you and you get to evolve and do exponentially more than you ever dreamt you could do here, mm-hmm. you would look at death as so welcomed. Yeah, I would. That right sounds time. great. I mean, that sounds like I don't. I don't know what you're talking about, but it sounds beautiful. I mean, yeah. I know what you're talking about. I don't. Yes. I need to accept because you that, don't know probably. that yet, but you will when. But how time. do you know that? Well, I know that because I have been dead. <laughs> you're, you're starting to hear like I'm really the the son of an attorney, my mom. You know, so I started to be like, "Are you sure? Yeah. Let me. Let, I am I looking over the that. case here, and I'm not sure." Yes, I love that though. <laughs> I mean, we have to brutally quest for truth. We should question everything. I I think that's so refreshing. What better way to look at life, death, and service? All of them have that in common. Because if you don't question it, you're just going to repeat what your ancestors did. And they didn't really make the wisest choices. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're in survival, you never do. Mm-hmm. But... Once you start trusting in the process, like you said, you're even starting to get good at life. I love that. Oh, my gosh. Because it's the first time I've said that. (laughs) It's so incredible because it is so hard here. Life Mm -hmm. is hard. Mm -hmm. And no matter, even if you have loving two pairs of hands to help you through into this world, if you were so fortunate, most of us have dealt with some very interesting interpretations Mm -hmm. of love through our family of origins. Mm -hmm. And that's what we work through for the rest of our our lives. (laughs) And which is why we struggle so much. No one tells you sometimes love is distorted or sometimes people have belief systems that will mess you up. And then instead of getting help, you are on square A 
you know, by the time you get to college, if you have the privilege of going to college. Well, I think um, the fact that you two are are really sitting with me about a subject I don't ever like to talk about, um, especially on a microphone, I'm going to turn it a little before we go, which is that it is, you're about to be a year older, Melody. And Julie, you happen to come here for her birthday after a year of isolation and no friends and fear and panic, you have made the trek out here. I'm sitting in the same room. It feels surreal to even do this. Yes. But I like to think of Talk Easy and I think even now this show as a time capsule of where we're at in any given moment. So you're asking me about death, but I'm wondering how do you want to live in in the next few years? Because you said you have these big questions about time and value and what you want to do. And I think it'd be worth like putting that down on tape so that we can look back on it in a few years and see where Mm. we stand. Hmm. Well, I think that the theme for me has just been, I want to be free. I just want to be so free to be who I am and do what I do in the world without anything hindering me or holding me back or in my way. Um, And most of the time it's me in my way. So just getting rid of any kind of distortion or belief or projection on me of what I should or whatever that the world puts on me or that I put on myself. I want to be completely free of all those things so that I could just show up every day and do my best job at being me. And how do you think you get in your way? Oh, man. Well, insecurities or believing beliefs or taking on projections, accepting them, not putting them through a rigorous filter um, of who I actually am, but just sort of taking things at face value. I've, I've really been getting better at questioning everything and mainly how I feel all the time. Like in every moment, I think that energy is so real, you know, when you come across certain people, there's some people that you feel really good around. Why? Some people you feel like shit around. Why? You know, there's some people you leave feeling so depleted. Why? And so really just questioning everything that pops up and then doing the work around it. Like Julie has this three-step process that um, she taught me that's in one of her books that where you you sort of identify if something comes up for you that's challenging, you identify it as a pain, a loss, a disconnection, or a hidden agenda. So something will come up for me super easy where, you know, my husband will say something to me and I'll be so sad and I'll be like, why did that trigger me in this way? Like, why was I so triggered by this thing? It doesn't equal, it's not an equal proportion. Like he'll say something and then what he'll say shouldn't warrant the response that I had. I hold myself accountable to that thing. And I'm like, what is it that made me so sad? Okay, I I identify that this is a pain. And then I'll go in myself and I'll go back to the first time I ever felt that way. And it's crazy because it's sort of never ending. There's so many first times you can go back to. Mm. Sometimes you get deeper and deeper and it'll, 
usually go back to my mom or my dad or a teacher or something, and I'll have this memory that I'd never thought of before. And I'll be like, oh my God, I was eight years old and my dad had this response that I took in as an eight-year-old and I'm still carrying that. And Flea just put his finger on it and triggered that eight-year-old, not me, who's here now with all the collection of experiences that I have. And so I'll take that and I'll be like, what did I need when I was eight? Like in that moment where my dad had that thing where he got mad at me and hurt me, what did I need? And I'll give myself that thing and then I'll bring it forward to who I am now. And it's really kind of incredible. It sounds so simple, but it makes me feel so much more free because now I know what that thing is and I won't be as triggered from what Flea says because I'll know where it's coming from and I won't, it won't be this vague thing. And then I become free of it. And I just get deeper and deeper into becoming free of those things because if I really do want to do the work that I do on a global level because I feel like that's my assignment, I really feel like I created this brand and I connect with people globally. If I want to do that on a global level, how am I going to be able to do it if I'm triggered by every little thing Mm -hmm. that comes up? So I do everything that I can every day to just be free of those things so that I can just be myself. Pinpointing those past problems. Yes. And saying, I got it. Time to. Yeah, let because it go. we're so layered. I mean, even with our birthdays, I remember having a conversation with Julie and she was like, Were you, when your mom was pregnant with you, were you expected? And I was like, That's a great question. I don't know. And I went back and I had this whole conversation with my mom and I was like, hey, did was I planned? And my mom told me this whole story about uh, that I didn't even think that she'd be open enough to share with me about how I wasn't planned and how my dad was actually terrified to have a kid and didn't want to have a kid. And she had to fight for me and all this stuff. And I was like, and it was so freeing because I was like, oh my God, I actually came into the world feeling like I might not be wanted. And I think I've carried that with me on some level. Like I'll never go anywhere that I'm not invited. If a friend is having a party and they didn't specifically call me and invite me, I don't go. I don't feel half the time I don't even know if I belong in the world. I'm like, am I supposed to be here? (laughs) Yes. You know? Yes. And so it's work. I have to do work, but it all came from this very deep, legitimate place that I kind of have to go back to sometimes and be like, I do belong here. My parents just didn't, you know, didn't give me the greatest welcome. (laughs) But it's always, it always, for all of us, it always goes back to something. Mm. In our own perception. Yes. Because it's not just that you go back to your pain. It's that you go back to your pain and you have to identify, what did I interpret that to mean about my existence? Mm. That's the clincher. Because now you are free forever. No matter if someone welcomes you or not, you still feel welcome. Mm -hmm. Whether somebody tells you you are not, blah, 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 you still go, hmm, that's not true. (laughs) And that's not easy to do in the face of another authority, Mm. by someone who speaks with authority. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it seems like you two are getting there. Like You're getting better at being alive. Yeah. And figuring out. Not only my assignment, but 
refining the purpose of your assignment and then letting things go that don't serve you anymore. Speaking of service. That's the hardest thing in the world. Yeah. That's the hardest thing in the world. I know. I was telling my friend this last week and she was like, so basically you're trying to achieve enlightenment. (laughs) And I was like, hi, I didn't really think about it that way, but I guess so. (laughs) That's the purpose of this show, I think. Yeah. Every week is uh, some attempt at enlightenment. Yeah. I just don't think people have these kinds of conversations. We don't give ourselves the permission to have these kinds of conversations enough, like, because the unknown is very unclear. There's no handbook for it. It's not um, legitimized by any authority or textbook or, you know, it's, we don't have the same sort of references academically or, and so we, we kind of question it, but I think it's important to talk like heart to heart, soul to soul. Sam, thank you so much for joining us today. But can um, you join us every week? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I just wanted to thank you both for giving me that space on here to have mm. this conversation. You're talking about that. And I think you're doing that, both of you, each week on the show. And to do it with you two is kind of surreal and to now be kind of embedded in the fabric of it. Um you know, you made me talk about death, but besides that, <laughs> I appreciate you both. Um, Julie and Melody, thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Sam. And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find the Butterfly Forecast every Tuesday with a new episode available wherever you do your podcasting. Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher. Hope to see you then. We'll see you next time. Thank you.